This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. My guest today on the Saddler's Post podcast is Saddler Lucy Cushley. Um, Lucy is from Northern Ireland and has, uh, you can find her on social media, The Irish Saddler. Uh, Lucy, welcome to the Saddler's Post podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's very exciting. <laughs> I've been listening to all the ones so far and it's really exciting to be here. Oh, wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and obviously, uh, you know, you understand the premise of, of part of this podcast is to share uh, people's journey, but also, you know, I want to encourage people to get into the trade, um, but also, you know, kind of have raw and honest uh, conversation about what it's like acquiring the skills. Um, so I don't know, I would love for you to, you know, very briefly, uh, I know you have a, a great background in horses and that's <laughs> what probably led to this, but tell us a little bit about Lucy, what inspired the journey into saddlery and, and leather work. Yeah, so I think one of the really interesting things about my story is so many people when they first meet me think I've been born into this, you know, as if it's sort of a family trade or, you know, a sort of similar kind of working background where, you know, my family were trade people or, or artists or something like that. And I am 100% the black sheep of my family. <laughs> they were all sort of, you know... Uh, white collar business you know um things like that whereas i have definitely not come from that angle at all but i think my, one of the main sort of philosophies that have has guided me through life was um when i was a teenager um i developed some kind of i'll i'll just call it a weird sickness illness that had me in and out of doctors of hospitals and bed and Oh, I was just a bit mad. And of course, during that time was during all the exams, which everyone tells you that if you don't get these exams, you know, you've, you know, ruined your life. You'll not get a job. You'll not go to university. And, you know, you'll forever be, you know, begging for pennies at the side of the road. Sometimes they have you feed. And then um, it was during that time that I obviously got really depressed about it all. And I was thinking, right, you know, I can't do anything. My life's always going to be difficult. And it was actually, you know, my love of the equestrian world and horses and being outside and, you know, being with the beasts that probably, probably you know, saved me from uh, looking at life very bleakly and new things like that. And whenever I started to become, you know, more functioning and a bit more myself and a bit healthier and learned how to manage my symptoms I started working at a, a polo producer who is down by a beach here which was a really fantastic experience you know waking up at the crack of dawn going out riding horses all day grooming them doing snack things like that and it was during that time where I was like you know this is this is something I want to do. It's not that I have to do it and I need an exam for this or I need to, you know, follow a certain rule of life. And I was like, you know, doing what makes you happy is probably, you know, one of the best things you can do. 
And during that time, the guy who I worked for, he had a friend whose family um, owned one of the last sheep tanning, uh, sort of fleece tanning over here. And um, he had given him this big box of uh, sh- uh, sheepskins. And I had sort of been, you'll laugh, I was fixing rugs with a big old uh, sacking needle. <laughs> <laughs> the strongest thread I could get in the um, in the haberdashery shop, and he said to me, "Do you know? Could you think you could make a seat saver?" And of course, the minute he said to me, I was like, "Yes, yes, I can." Could I make one? Oh my goodness, Christian! I was there for weeks on end, you know, trying to get the shape of the saddle and the cantle and the cut of the skirt so it would sit right. And let me, it's so funny because I ended up making two or three of them. And they still are going. He still uses them. And I, <laughs> and I went up and I looked at them. And I, of course, when you look at them with different eyes, I was like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? But um, it was during that time where I sort of was like, do you know, maybe I could make salary or tack or do repairs or whatever. And I did the very silly thing of just typing it into Google, you know, how to become a saddler. And, of course, it was this doom and gloom expense, have to have an apprenticeship, have to go to England. And I was like, oh, no. Because, you know, I think with a lot of people um, on the sort of, you know, mainland sort of forget quite a lot of the time that, you know, yes, it's all well and good doing these courses, but then you have to add on 500 quid just to get there. And it's not a case of you can stay with someone, you know, like your your auntie or your cousin or something who lives nearby and they feed you and there's, you know, generally a couple of quid slid across the table, sort of like, that'll get you to your next course or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so that really put me off. I think... And it was only in my next job that I went to. The the lady there, she... Um, She's a fantastic woman, June Burgess. She uh, she does a lot of sort of um, d- business development. She 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 you know she was in a, she did a lot of eventing, but she also owned you know some of the most expensive hotels on this island. She you know starts started some amazing businesses. She gave business business development, and the whole time when I was listening to her, I was like, you know, she is a hundred percent right. You know, you you can't live your life always wanting a bit more. And I was like, you know, um, everything she said it resonated with that original philosophy that I had. And I was like, do you know what? I am going to do it. So it was a case of me working three jobs to save enough money to go and live in England and go to Capel. And um, it's one of those things that looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm always a little bit bitter about it because I always think, you know, if I was going to university, there'd be loans and money and people would have thrown things at me. Oh, yes, you're going to succeed. But wasn't so much the case. Yeah. But in a way, that real burning desire that I was going to do it come hell or high water, I think actually stood me a lot better, especially when I did start going um, into the two-year course, you know. It was a case of you have to be self-disciplined in going into this. And sure, what's more self-disciplined than working three jobs? You know, uh, it's uh, it's 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 something that I think has definitely lent lent itself to me. And while I am a bit better, I wouldn't change it. I don't think you know. Yeah, th- this is you know again when I was thinking about this podcast and who I'm going to interview and things and it, it, you know what pops into my head all the time is that this path. And I'm talking to, into English saddlery. You know, I've been speaking mm-hmm. with some Western saddle makers, and 
you know, if you want to become a Western saddle maker in the States, um, you know, there's, there's many, many, many avenues to go through, um, Mm -hmm. to, to, to acquire those skills. And then on the English side of things, it seems like, you know, who, even finding someone to mentor with and, you know, mm. the, the amount of resilience and desire and drive you <laughs> you have to have to get the skills uh, is yeah. incredible. And um, I think it's no different. I kind of see you, you know, having had past conversations with you, Northern Ireland, you know, yes, England's geographically closer to you, but it's not mm. like it's you know just even the cost of getting there and as you say your expenses mm. once you get there would be as high as any any foreign student coming from uh north america or anywhere else yeah it, it it's and i think one of the things that people also underappreciate about you know the, the sort of ireland great britain divide however you want to call it is there such a culture difference and, you know, coming from a wee girl in the back end of nowhere in Ireland, you know, having to go and live sort of literally on the outskirts of London for two years, you know, it does something to your brain. <laughs> you know, I'm used to wide open fields and, you know, sheep running down the road and things like that. And you'd be lying there awake at 2am and hearing somebody screaming at their neighbours and you're just lying there going... Am I sure I want to do this? You know, and you know the prices of a house in London compared to ones over here. It, oh, it, it's scary, you know. And I think you know when you're saying about the challenges you face, you know, it's 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 de- it's definitely one of those things that you know. If I, you know, because as, as we said before, we've had a few past conversations, you know, and there's a few people over there who I've maybe spoken to onward from that saying you know look I really want to do this I think those people that you know they see every obstacle and go yep I'm going to climb that mountain let's go have you any advice blah 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 you know I think that's great rather than you know some young pup in England who's like right I'm going to try this and they walk out of college walk straight into a place you know and I'm a bit "Mm." (laughs) don't want to say better about it but sometimes I just think Oh, you've no idea how privileged you are. Yep. But sure, that's like everything, really, isn't it? There's privilege and hurdles for everyone. It's just finding out where you might get a leg up and where you're going to have to really hustle to get on and make it. You know. I think for for craftspeople, you know, in this trade in particular, like leathercraft, the the people that I find that you know this this the overcoming of obstacles it's that person that says yeah i'll um you know someone will show up with some obscure thing that they need repairing Mm. and you know i find that the the privileged saddler let's call it (laughs) i would love to be hosting that podcast someday um is uh you know saying no 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 we don't offer that service here and Mm -hmm. you know the person who's like you know that like, look, yeah, I will take that job on. I will figure it out, and I will mm-hmm. teach myself the skills to 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 yeah. make that. Because you mm-hmm. you kind of think, 
yeah, this is this is just another challenge, and challenges are not. You kind of start to learn how to embrace that. Yeah, there's there's definitely that fine line between you know using that as something to push you versus you know you're really catching on here. I'm like you know you should probably make a few phone calls and be like, well, actually this person specializes in this. So, you know, if you want to give her a wee ring, she'll actually do you a far better job than I ever would, you know. But I think, you know, even in that instance, I think everything that we do is trying to to walk that line, you know, of doing what you love, making enough money, you know, how much time am I spending in the workshop? How much time am I spending on marketing? You know, yeah. I honestly, it's quite funny because I honestly view salary as a real philosophy for life. <laughs> so, and I think maybe some people might get a bit fed up with me in my philosophy. No, but, you know, so... It's, it's, it's definitely something that resonates with me in every aspect of life because I now know that if I'm having a problem with something, the best thing to do is ring a few people and go, look, do you know how to fix this or do you know someone else who knows how to fix this? Yeah. Because, you know, there's there's times where people have come to me looking boots or sofas remade and I'm like, I totally understand you've come to me looking something leather sort. However, if you go and ring this lovely lady, she will do the most beautiful upholstery job for you. And it's one of those things that I'm not really that interested in upholstery I'm also pretty busy at the moment doing all my salary. But, you know, it's also one of those things that I get many phone calls from people having rung her saying, oh, can you fix this bag? Or, you know, I have this dog collar. And she'll go, nope, you ring Lucy. And I think it's also, you know, developing that relationship as well. Because I know what you're sort of saying before, it was sort of like a challenge of, oh, I'm going to make this. But I also think it's a really big challenge for people to not view everyone else that touches leather as some kind of enemy, you know, and actually instead go, well, actually, you've got a really cool set of skills that there's a bit of lap over between you and me, but you also have that knowledge and love and desire that I probably don't have for this job. But it's like anything, Christian, isn't it? You know, some people will take on absolutely anything because they love it, whereas I think, no, I'm maybe a bit, a bit yeah. older and senile and I think <laughs> well actually this might take a few years off yeah. me to do you know? I do I think I take things on that I shouldn't though just because I think oh this will be fun like I recovered and halfway through you think I'm not charging enough for this yeah I did a seat in a 1950 Dodge pickup truck and I thought I can't oh, say no to this this is fabulous. so cool yeah. yeah and I did it and I realized yeah, you you were really faking it here. You really, like, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I was, I had so much fun doing it, but then I realized, like, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't want to do it every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would love to. You know, it's one of those oh, I want a do-over. I want to go and learn uh, an apprentice with a automotive upholstery, uh, you know, automotive oh, trimmer. Know. And, uh, That's you the think, thing. No. It's when I look at some of those guys doing Western saddles, I'm like, oh, I could do that. And part of me is like, no, Lucy, you really couldn't do <laughs> You could maybe do it once or twice, but I think that'll do you. Well, and that's... I <laughs> but did, it's on the list, Christian, don't worry. I, I, did, I always have something where I'm like, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. Yeah, I did get that to that stage, you know, people... Can you... Do, can you do this thing on my Western saddle, like a repair? And I'm like, if it's the most basic repair, I will. If not, mm-hmm. no, because 
believe it or not, that is a trade. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you spend 10 years hyper-focusing on learning certain aspects of, you know, of saddlery and, and now you know, that I almost work exclusive. Well, I work exclusively on French made saddles now and with foam panels. Mm-hmm. And it, it literally is hilarious. You know, the other day someone asked me if I was comfortable working on wool panels. And I thought, what do you mean? <laughs> I used to have a reputation for being the guy to go to for wool panels. Yeah, and yeah. now you're asking me you if know, I'm comfortable with it. It's so funny you should say that, though, because... I honestly feel like saddlery is a bit like, you know, the medical profession where you can have people like me or maybe a bit of the GP, the general practitioner, who can kind of diagnose a few things like, well, actually, you need to take this to a guy who makes collars because, you know, the the lady doing side saddles across the street, she won't be able to do it, you know. And then I think it's one of those things that, you know, back in the day, there were so many specialists down one road. You just walk down the road into the next place you needed to go, whether it's harness, saddle, bridlery, you know, or, you know, if it was panniers being made or, you know, you're up in Scotland and you need somebody to get your um, stag carrying harness. (laughs) The name (laughs) has totally escaped me. But, you know, there's, there's so many skills that I feel like we have sort of become a bit of an everyman when it comes to doing these things, especially I know over here because there's just not enough people to do it. And I think that's why when I hear people saying, oh, no, I'm not going to teach or I'm not going to have apprentices, you know, I don't need the competition. Or I'm like, come on, you know, there, there's people who are going to get into this and immediately veer off a different path. Because I know when I first started, you know, saddle sitting was rattling about in my head. And, oh, yeah, I could do this because there's not many saddle sitters. And it's a very important thing. And, of course, the minute I started watching people saddle fit, I was like, I have not got the brain to hold all this information in, in 10 minutes of talking to someone. And I just thought, you know what, it's either going to be way down the path or it'll never be, you know. Because the minute I started working on harness, I was like, this is cool. I love this. And, you know, if, that had been, if I had been apprenticed to someone who was saddle fitting, they wouldn't have had to worry. They'd have had to worry that I would have asked them every question under the sun imaginable about harness. <laughs> yes. But I think, you know, and even then, you know, I started capable. The fallout of people who I started with who still continue to do some form of leather-related industry, it's, I don't know, I don't want to say it's pathetic, but it's a bit like, come on, guys. You know, why would you do two years of a course and then totally, you know, disband it? But... That's, again, where I think that sort of will and drive and sort of previous life experience and knowing a bit what you want to do with your life comes in. So, I don't know, sometimes I may be a bit harsh, but no, <laughs> I, I agree with you. my own frustrations, I guess. So this, this is one of the conversations that kind of circles back a little bit, you know, in your very beginning. You know, you spoke about... Um, you know, being in a place where you're like the, the, the doing saddlery for you is part of good mental health, right? Is oh, that fair 100%. to say? Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think when you come into something and your every skill that you acquire and every you know um, technique that you develop and hone and craft and become proficient at you just feel better and better and better about yourself. Oh, 
right? Yeah. And I, I actually think I wrote, you know, a few days ago, I was like, you know, no matter where I go and what I do, whether it's repairing somebody's watch strap or if it's making a new set of harness for Minister Shetland, both of those jobs, when I see the customer come in and I, you just, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Christian, when you see their face and they're like, amazed and relieved and happy and a bit awe-inspired of what you do and I'm like do you know what I am cool (laughs) I would never call myself a very interesting person but when it comes to what I do I'm like what I do is real cool it's really interesting it's got history it's got technique it's got modernization it's got new thinking it's got old thinking you know Honestly, it's getting me to shut up about it. The problem, but <laughs> this you know, is perfect. It's, I love it. it's it's that magic of creation, and I think anyone that crafts or is an artist or you know a chef, we all have this kind of little spark, and you can't describe it. No one can describe what it is until the minute you do it. And the minute somebody starts talking about it, I turn around and go, I know exactly what you mean. And you have like this little look between yourselves and you go, yeah, you've got it. I've got it. We are cool. It's sort of that uh, daddy feeling of, yeah, what I do is pretty amazing. And what I also think is really interesting is when you see people starting out on that and you see them start to gain that confidence and kind of real appreciation of what they're doing, that they're not going, oh, my God, this is rubbish. Oh, my God, throw it in the fire. Oh, throw it in. And they've made something, they go, I'm actually really proud of what I've made. And I'm like, that is the best drug on the planet, honestly. You know, since starting Saddlery, you know, I get depressed about the state of the world and things like that. I very rarely got depressed about what I do. You know, even though there are days where you're thinking, you know, it would be much easier if I was getting paid three million for this job. <laughs> you know, it still doesn't make me go, oh, I don't want to do this. I've never actually woken up in the however many years I've been doing this touch wood and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I've never thought that. In fact, anytime I do feel a wee bit frustrated with it, it kind of lights a fire underneath me. I know I am actually going to do better. I am going to ring some people and be like, right, I need to improve on this. When can I come and see you? You need to teach me how to tie this knot off properly. Or, you know, even I remember when you were posting videos, Christian, I was watching videos of you tying off knots and I'm like, I need this man to teach me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, You know, and I think this is such an interesting thing about mental health because when you meet people who are on the same wavelength of you, it's just, it's oh, it's an electric feeling, isn't it? Once you get talking to other saddlers, you're just yeah. like, oh, I really want to go and make something. <laughs> well, and this is why I'm really trying to encourage my Canadian colleagues to stop working in these silos, you know. Oh, yeah. And especially fitters tend to be, you know, we're, we're in competition with one another and the brands they mm-hmm. represent try to create this competitiveness and, um, you know, I try to get them to, like, just forget about that. We'll all be better off if you share your knowledge. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I would say the it's, customer it's very wins. similar to here, really. You know, there is that dog-eat-dog kind of mentality. And I don't think, you know, obviously, you know, you're in a car or a van all day going to your saddle fits or you're in a workshop on your own all day. And you do have that little inner demon that, wants to sort of tell you you're not as good 
or, oh, you know, you need to do more marketing because look at this. Um, I regularly have to listen to this wee thing for hours on end without speaking to another human being. And it can be a very persuasive wee voice. But at the end of the day, I think it takes a lot of guts to not view people as competition because you are standing in a place of real authentic confidence and self-belief. You know, we're talking about mental health. You know, being isolated all the time is not good for you. And I think, you know, that's whenever you were saying on one of your other podcasts about, you know, give us a call when you're driving four hours to your next, you know, sitting or whatever. I phone people all the time and I'm like, oh, I'm doing this today. What are you doing? You know, tell me what your plan for the week is. And I think to have that sense of camaraderie will actually make you and yourself become a lot more of a confident and relaxed person because you'll also realize that every problem you're having, someone is also having a problem. It might even be the same problem. Or, you know, whenever you're reading someone with a bit more mileage on them and they'll say, actually, I had that exact same problem and what you want to do is this, you know. I honestly am probably the least competitive person on the planet. I really don't care, you know, if you think you're better or worse than me, whatever. But if you've got something that you want to share with me, then that's when the conversation gets interesting. Because I know a lot of people that I try to mentor me or teach me, there's there's always the odd person that you know is just holding a little bit back from you. Yep. And you're like, I'm not here to get you out of business because you are more experienced than me and you have far more than me. And to be honest, you're probably going to charge a a bit more than me. And I'm like, that's hunky-dory. But at the end of the day, I'm not telling customers that I'm better than you. I'm telling them, here's what I can do. Here's what I charge. At the end of the day, it's up to the customer. You know, if you're going to be really awkward and a bit, you know, elitist and don't want to talk to your customers about X, Y, Z, of course they're going to come to me. Because as you've realized, Christian, I can't shut up about salary or what I do or how interesting is this? Or there's times I've been standing there and I'm talking about the history of, you know, the Roman bits, you know, and bidding. And I'm sure the customers looking at me going, what on earth is this girl talking about? But then they sort of get a bit interested and they go, oh, actually, that's really interesting. Because it's not just about educating ourselves it's educating the customer because if you educate the customer to a point where they really appreciate what you do they're going to go around and tell all their mates and yeah. all their mates are going to have a wee think about it and they're going to you know be riding around and thinking actually do you know i wonder if does this bridle truly fits my horse maybe i should phone this girl and have a wee chat with her yeah and, and it just at the end of the day anything that i do it's nothing to do with anybody else or me it's making sure animals and people are in good welfare. Because at the end of the day, you know, if I'm lying in bed going, oh, I did some really nice bridles, but none of them fit, I would probably be sick. <laughs> you know, I all, I already lie at wake going, oh, maybe if I made that a quarter inch shorter, it'd be really much nicer. But, you know, there's far more important things to be worrying about in this world. You know, the state of the world is a chaotic really and you just think why am I targeting somebody who also has the same love and passion that I do as an enemy they're a comrade in arms here you know the real person we should be you know lobbying against is the likes of Mr. Bezos he's not paying his taxes and he's churning stuff out from god knows where with the malpractices of you know people in sweatshops doing XYZ, that's the thing, you know, people gurn at me at the price a lot, and I'm like, look, 
you're paying someone a living wage here. You're paying me a wage, which is going to improve my business to the point where I'm going to have three or four apprentices in my life who are also going to go on to improve the welfare and life of horses and people and dogs and donkeys and all this, you know. You know, the enemy is not me. The enemy is fast consumerism. You know, it's teaching people an appreciation for things that, you know, will also have an environmental impact, which will also mean that, you know, developing countries are actually having to step up and look after the people who are tanning leather and pits of urine and all this. And you think, you know, in our industry, there's far more things to be talking about than what Sally down the road's doing. You know, I think it's a real... If any if any Canadian people are out there and thinking, oh, she she doesn't understand, I do understand because I do have a lot of aggression coming to me a lot of the time from other people, not necessarily saddlers, but even leather workers. I I have those phone calls, but at the end of the day, I can't control what anybody else is doing. I can only control what I'm doing. So I'm making sure that whenever somebody rings me with a question or oh, do you have these buckles? I don't have them in stock. I'm trying my damnedest to try and help them out because. You know, even if they don't return the favor, I still sleep at night because I know I'm doing the best that I can do. Yep. You know, that's we're so on that's the same philosophy again, isn't it? Yeah, we're on the same <laughs> wavelength for that. And I think what some craftspeople maybe, you know, I get it thrown in my face sometimes where people are, you know, I put this meme up, a joke. You know, how do how can you tell if someone's a master saddler? And it's they'll don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it, they, yeah, they just, yeah have this superiority bit where i'm kind of like the the working stiff you know i don't Mm -hmm. use the term master because i didn't go through any of the channels that would you know entitle me to use that and and i find north americans Mm -hmm. too are a little less fussed about that title they really are after an end result and 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 want to be treated a certain way too like they, they they don't want to be treated like um you know a lot of people especially on saddle fitting love to make their customers feel guilty or bad about themselves and it's like i've never done that i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm just here to educate and provide Mm -hmm. a service and you know improve the life of your quality of life for your horse right but yeah um, because i think people forget about the welfare of the customer a lot (laughs) like look they don't need a miserable life (laughs) you know why would anybody go to anyone to be made to feel miserable there's times where if someone is willfully neglecting their horse then you let that cat out of the basket and you go right you are getting your 10 cents said to you here and now but those people generally are going to call you anyway yeah you know that's that's the thing isn't it it's true and i've i've had clients that i've had to say look if i can't i can't you know if if it comes to soundness of a saddle and they're like well i'll take it into advice and you know like i had a policy of I open your saddle up and find an issue, I will not put it back together because that's mm-hmm. um, yeah. one, it's a safety issue, but ethically you should never, you either repair this, throw it out. Um, I know that at full well, if I put it back together, that it's, mm. yeah, you might not use it again, but you're also that person that might throw it on eBay to because yeah even if you there's get very much uh oh this know. is granddad's and i want to hang it up in, in in the house and i'm going do you think i came up the lagging in a bubble no <laughs> no you are not you're gonna have this on ebay or in some sale yard or at a fair before i can even write you the bill you yeah. know yeah and uh there's a lot of con artists out there <laughs> and i just 
just you know is like no we do do things you know first and foremost the safety Mm -hmm. of of the horse and so on but so i'm and also too you know i think saddlers who compare themselves to others or if you look at um you know you had said earlier the the stuff that you had made out of um, sheepskin was still in use Mm -hmm. but you look at it and think oh that's horrific but the fact is (laughs) I've always kind of told people I sell function not fashion because everything I made was so Mm -hmm. bad (laughs) that I but some of the stuff is still in use (laughs) (laughs) some of the stuff is still in use and people are happy with it and I kind of think yeah Mm -hmm. that's all I care about is that you know and I know I'm you know doing my best to improve my skills and Mm -hmm and have things look nice you know but i always tried to be like no 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 it's functional like you might yeah you might think ooh, you know because when you go from when you start making saddles with no clue about pattern making it shows it shows (laughs) (laughs) so badly (laughs) that all your proportions are off and everything looks terrible and but you know because you followed really sound principles of fitting you know it works the way it's supposed to it just doesn't look like it does it's that it's that tree of you know what actually is your aim and goal first one's always got to be you know is this safe to use because there's a few times i've seen people make beautiful things like honestly you would weep how beautiful these things are but then you look at it close up and you're like, I wouldn't put this on a horse if you paid me a million bucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. it is not that it's not well made, but, you know, they've got the wrong width of strap. They're using leather that's like paper. And you're going, what? What? what, what? No. You know, and then again, you can have things that they either look a bit rough or they look really beautiful. And the minute you put it on a horse, you sort of think, have you ever seen a horse before? <laughs> you know, this is not going to fit come hell or high water. Yeah. You know? And I think it's, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. And like, as I say, I still have pieces from my first week of college, you know, stitching lines. And you look back at them and you go, yeah, that's a bit rough. And then there's times maybe you've had a bad day in the workshop and you think, oh, God, it's just as bad. <laughs> but then there's days where, you know, you go to the competition and your stuff is setting, so you're setting next to two or three masters of 60 years experience. And you're looking at their stuff and you're looking at your stuff and you go, Do you know, mine doesn't look too bad sat on the table. It's not in their league. But it's not sticking out like a sore thumb, and people aren't walking up to it going, "Who on earth entered this?" <laughs> you know, I think it's trying to find that middle ground of form and function, isn't it? You know, you've got to you've got to have a little bit of both, really, isn't it? And as I, you say, it's the continual development. Because uh, yeah, you're saying before about you know the status of master and what does it mean? To be honest, it just means you have a plaque hanging on the wall, and you know you've done. XYZ exams and have been acknowledged by XYZ people but that doesn't mean that you stop improving you know and it doesn't mean that you know everything because I think one of the one of the, my favorite things is when somebody starts talking to me and saying oh I know how to do everything I know how to do this that is like the biggest red flag of you actually know saw it all yeah, you know, there's been a few people that like to tell me, "Oh, you should come and learn from me because I know 
everything about saddle making. And I'm and I just look at them and I go, No, you don't, but thanks for the offer. And I don't really necessarily want to learn from those people because they're very much this is the way of how to do something. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's always more than one way, you know, and there's I'm sure everybody has a different style of learning, a style of doing. So, of course, there's going to be different ways. And one way might sit one person better, one way might sit another person better, or it might be the job itself. You know, you might be in a wee corner or something that you can't get an all in, and that's whenever this technique will come into play. You know, and I think it's very important to be constantly striving to learn everything, but you're never going to know it all. You know, I think the day that you know it all, it's the day you should be put in your wooden box for, you know, your, your goodbye. You know, yeah, it shouldn't true. be when you're, you know, a 30-year-old in the back end of nowhere, you know, making a bit of harness. I definitely think that's a, a dangerous thing. But then, of course, there are people that only do what they do to, to achieve that status of master. They don't stray from a path of, you know, doing exams, getting accredited, doing a few competitions. And I think, you know, yes, you can have a master status, but that's only like a certain level. Like there's masters within masters that I know that that they are like the, the embodiment of a deity when they're talking to me about saddlery. I'm, like, I'm not worthy to even be in your workshop. But, you know, it's like everything, you know, are you going to be really insecure about somebody with a plaque on the wall? Or are you actually going to sit and listen to what they're talking about? It's you know, true. that's the thing to me. You, you know, it could be, you know, if I like, I I watch guys, you know, doing that those horsehair. Is it Makate reins or? See, I don't even know the right term for them. But I watch those guys or people braiding, and I'm like, you are unreal. You're amazing. And I don't think they really care whether or not they've got a plaque in the wall. You know, I want a plaque in the wall because I'll be like, yay. Doesn't mean I'm going to think I'm any better than anyone else. Yeah. You know. You know what I find it's, it's the, like, the plaque possibly is driven by a little bit of legitimacy. Like, I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. sat on a plane or a train and someone said to you, oh, and what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a saddler. <laughs> and they say, oh, what? And you have to, you know, I work on saddles. I make saddles or I repair saddles. Yeah. You know, I work in leather and they just are like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, what my mean? favorite thing is I would take the ferry quite a lot. And I've been sitting there with my clams who resting under my arm. And the looks people give you, they're like, what on earth is that? And the other person will come up and go, what on earth are they for? And I go, oh, I'm a saddler. And they're like, yeah, but what are those for? And then within about five minutes, I've got a group of about six people standing around me while I'm describing holding the clam and putting the leather in and using double hand stitching. And they are just like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm going, yeah, it is actually. But then, of course, you then have to get into the whole, oh, I don't make saddles, but you're a saddler. And I go, well, technically, I'm also a harness maker as well. And they go, oh, people still use harness? And I'm going, whoa, Nelly, let's get into this conversation. Yeah. It know, is, and I think uh, it's also one of those things that, you know, the likes of the BBC repair shop and the wonderful Susie, you know, she's doing great things for even spreading the word of, yes, there's people that can repair your stuff. You know, it's 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 really interesting because I've had so many people ring me like and they're always really nervous to say, can you repair something for me? I'm like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, you know, come in, come in. 
Um, and I think, like, part of, as we were saying before, about, like, the plaque, I think part of it is, I don't know if this is maybe a bit sappy or whatever, but part of it is that recognition from people who have trained me that I am of a standard that I deserve that status. Yes. Which, you know, I suppose it's a bit um, contradictory to what I said before, but obviously, so I have never done an official apprentice. I've been mentored very lovingly by a lot of very, very amazing people who, honestly, if I could give them, you know, a million dollars each, I would and wouldn't even blink, you know, and it's it's their recognition that means more to me than a plaque or a piece of paper. But obviously, to get that plaque, you've got to have them going. Yeah, she is good enough. Um, yeah, and it's, the, um, yeah, yeah. Mentorship. It's another kind of theme running through the podcast is trying to encourage people to, you know, we can pick on young people. It's not a. It's not necessarily their fault. <laughs> Hold on, I'm not that old, my Christian. <laughs> no, no. I mean, but did yeah. you know this desire to just, you know, we we run to YouTube to learn how to do something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a son who's 12 now, and it, and it's interesting the way his mind works because he wants to learn traditional, old school things like literally, like mm-hmm. you know, um, how to make your own fishing net right so believe it or not that's yeah. a lot of interesting knots that go into that and the design of it and oh everything else. yeah and yeah Definitely. he mm-hmm. he taught himself uh, by youtube because someone's out there sharing that knowledge now no one's gonna get hurt by him making his own net mm-hmm. but it's like when you have what we call you know youtube expert making you a yeah. saddle or fitting you your saddle that's when you're like, mm-hmm. well, hang on, you know, yes, maybe you know how yeah. to do it, but unless you've been mentored, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that there are yeah, just so I, many subtle I, nuances. I probably have a different view on this, and I know a lot of people are immediately clutching their pearls going, oh my God, she's actually going to say this. But I actually think, you know, we are the age of technology. And part of the whole thing is, you know, there's so much information out there whether it's correct or not, that's a different thing. But I think, you know, even within mentorship, you'll have so many different people telling you different things. I think, you know, YouTube does have its place. And for a want of a better word, the experts, they're giving information. But I think one of the things is to always take anything you ever hear from anyone, whether it be a master or a beginner on YouTube, take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Because, you know... I, there's times where I've had people saying to me, oh, bridles don't matter if they fit or not. And that was a master saddler. No names mentioned, but that's what they said to me. And I was sort of going, uh-huh. They're yeah. amazing at what they do. They're incredible. But when they say something like that, you sort of go, right, okay, let's just take everything you say with a little bit of, uh, you know, a certain grain of sand in, in, the, um, in what, you, what you're telling me. Because I think... You know, there's people I see on YouTube and they are very good at what they do. And I'm like, that is beautiful stuff you're making. And I like, I, some of those things, I'm in the workshop, I generally play a lot of YouTube with people making stuff. But then you also have somebody coming on saying, yeah, every stitch you should be doing should be pulled through with pliers. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't say I would agree with that. But, you know, that gets you to A to B. Yeah. But I think, you know, as you say, when life-changing injuries come into play, that's whenever you sort of turn around and go, well, is your insurance going to cover you? 
because you know I think if your insurance is going to cover you they'll be like right okay why should we cover you what qualifications do you hold how many CPD hours do you do and if they don't do this they really should but you know when you see people making doll collars and I'm like oh that's a bit skinny of a leather you know instead of sort of going no I'm not going to listen to anything they say in the rest of this video it's like well actually I'm going to sit and watch and sort of see what edge stain they use because it might be something that I'm not using you know there are little grains of everything everywhere you know and when you think about all this sort of oh here I'm sounding old now but when you see people with all this VR stuff you know is it going to be a case in 50 years because I am very much assuring myself that there will still be a need for saddlers and what we do in 50 years if not even 150 years it's going to be a case of you know instead of sitting in a workshop in England, you'll be sitting at, in your own workshop at home with a VR headset, watching someone's hand straight in front of you. You know, do this technique, try this, do this, you know, and who knows, we might have fancy exoskeletons which will be able to put, position your hand in a certain way because I think people's desire for traditional skills is because technology is just bread and butter now. You know, 100 years ago, technology that we are using you know without even blinking would have blown their minds and they would have been desperate to use it whereas yeah. now we're like no actually i don't really want to use a sewing machine i'm going to use my own hands and have that sense of satisfaction or being able to do a de- different technique because i'm using my own hands you know i think people very much are wanting to become a part of the story of items now instead of it just being oh yeah i got a, a on ebay you know they want to have that oh i went to this girl and she was talking and she let me pick out my leather and we were talking about different hides and how you know pig skin is different to a bull hide or napa you know they want to have that knowledge and i think it's very much ingrained as as human beings because we are creatives you know if we weren't creatives we'd be still swinging around trees you know even when you see what you know primates do you know they are creative and curious and they're pushing for their you know, pushing on their own technologies you know with um tool making and stuff it's it's one of those things that you know it's 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 in our dna to create and technology i think has stolen a wee bit of that and i think people are now sort of catching on that they're like well do you know actually i kind of want to do things this way as well and you know, you think you're doing something that the ancients did you think yeah actually i feel pretty good you know here i am on my my little box again being like salary is good for your mental health (laughs) sometimes it's very not good for your health and i appreciate that but it's one of those things that it always makes me feel uh, I don't know. It lifts me every time I talk about it. You yeah. know. Well, and this is why I want to have these conversations. I think the mental health aspect is is important to me because I think it it saved me like from mm-hmm. a, a real, real miserable life of doing yeah. something just mm-hmm. for money so that I could afford to be around horses, and then yeah. finally, <clears throat> when the penny drops, going, wait a minute, you know, there is. You know, being respected for what you do is really important to me, probably more important than it ought to be, but that's my, that's who I am. Like, I, I want yeah, people thought, to go, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. no, no, this saddle was fitted by Christian Lowe, or this was, you know, 
and that that means that's like gold to me and it's not just ego mm-hmm. it's 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 a um something that just makes me feel and feeds me and means that i i'm like okay yes I feel yeah good about I, what I i do. think it's that acknowledgement from others that what you have done is you have pushed to make yourself something more you know i i definitely don't think there are a lot of egos in what we do don't get me wrong but i think it's one of those things that there's people who are doing it just because it's what they love and to be recognized for something that you love is a very cool thing yeah and that's you know and i think one of the one of the things is i also find that people like that are drawn to each other because i know there's like yourself for example i know that whenever we started first chatting away i was like christian is cool i don't want to talk more to christian because there are no egos it's only a love for what you do you're also in trying to inspire other people to be more like that and to enjoy what they do and not view it as a dog eat dog world you know there's people who no matter what trade you're in there's going to be the gatekeepers and the narcissists and the gaslighters and whatever you know term you want to use but the majority of people are actually so enamored with what they do and want to share and talk about it that you know i i feel like in the very long run we'll be all right but I think it takes it takes people like us to actually step up and go, you know, you don't have to view me as a threat. And it's not a sign of yeah. weakness. It's actually coming from a place of great confidence in what you do. Yeah, and I think um, I think whether it's the Society of Master Saddlers or the Guild showing young people's entries in the competitions. Like, I think the competitions, mm. um, for anyone listening that may not understand in north america like in england you know you could submit a bridal that you made under the bridal making category and literally every single tiny little detail of that is being looked at and judged and rated and things like that but you know you've made that specifically for a competition so literally you might have taken five (laughs) times as long to do it (laughs) versus you know i'll give you a hundred quid for that how fast can you do it (laughs) You know, it's not the same thing, yeah. but it, it, it's a, it's, um, you know, it's not just masters submitting things. It's people going someday. I want to oh, be a no, master, no, yeah, you yeah. know, and this is something that's taken me forever to produce probably unrealistically amount of time, but I've used best practices, used the best material I can find. And I think that is cool. Like that, you know, and that's, well, you know amazing well i'm I'm sure anyone that's sort of been listening to me recently obviously i entered the competition this year um and i (laughs) I, one of the classes is actually the president's choice so the president of the society uh does a you know a sort of theme so this year it was actually really interesting because it had to be made from 60 percent recycled leather and i created a turtle because you know when else are you going to make a turtle out of uh two saddles and um a harness a harness saddle and uh i actually won and you know i didn't enter it to win i entered it because i was like this is a cool thing and everyone's gonna be like oh you know that's an interesting thing because you know when you have an open 
an open class like that, you know, anyone could make anything, you know, and it showed the creativity there because there wasn't a single entry that was the same as another. It was actually a really cool class. And the fact was, um, I actually beat my tutor in college, who is probably one of the most brilliant box makers um, out there. She One of her other entries won Best in Show. And it wasn't that I was like, oh yeah, I've beaten her. It was a case of, you know, I what I have produced is good enough to be on the table with her. Yep. You know, and people weren't coming up to me going, oh, Lucy, it's great that you've, you know, won this. Now you should be a master. They were all like, Lucy, that was, how did you come up with that? And I was like, I don't know. I sit in the workshop a lot and I breathe in a lot of glue. <laughs> I have some fever dreams. I don't know. <laughs> But yep. it was it was one of those things that all my mentors were coming up to me and like they they were just proud of me because I'd made this cool thing. You know, if you look at it technically, probably a bit rough around the edges, but it was it just there you know, whenever they do those competitions, there's so many factors. They will be looking at how far your crease is from the edge. But they're also going to be, is this modern? Is this, you know, is this a welfare issue? Is this going to fit the modern horse? You know, I, I honestly, to me, I don't view the competition as a competition. I view it as the showcase of the best of the best. You know, and it's not necessarily just England. There's people from America. There's Canadians. There's Australians there. You know, obviously, you've got the, the whole uh, plane ticket to worry about. But it's one of those things that my aim at the competition is for my stuff to be on the table with everyone else's and it not to stand out in a negative way. You know, there's times where I've been to the competition and I've seen somebody and I'm just like, this person really needed to think more about what they were actually doing with this, you know. And it's not necessarily unsafe or X, Y, Z. It's just that, you know, if you say, for example, have a certain girth and it's, supposed to be an anatomical girth and uh, the cuts are in very much the wrong place and you think mm, you're good at what you make but you're not necessarily applying that to the animal that you want to put it on Yeah, you know things like that You know, and I would very much encourage people to not view it as a competition but view it as a case of you go there, you show your work and you talk about your work you know anytime I've gone there you know, I've gone a lot of times and I have I've got diddly squat but I walk up to the person who judged and say, here's my entry. Can you tell me what you thought of it? And within 10 seconds, they'll be like, really good effort. Here's what you need to work on. You know, I, I also entered a pair of lace reins and the judge turned around to me and said, you have pulled this way too tight. And I was like, oh, but I thought you needed waves. And they said, yeah, you need waves, but you have, you know, tidal typhoons going on here <laughs> and it was one of the things that if I ever make another pair of reins I know exactly what I'm aiming for now because she picked up some other examples on the table and she said see how this still has a wave but the the actual outline is still flat relatively and then she showed me one that wasn't pulled enough and she went see how this one is flat but you can still have a certain amount of bend to it you know, you're in there with some of the best saddlers in the world why are you not going right tell me what you think of this tell me what you think of that and there you know there's the case of there's people having their own preferences and ideas you know that's 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 life but 
you know, you're then going to get two or three different opinions and everything, you know, and it's not a popularity contest because the whole thing is judge blind. And, oh, I tell you, a few of my mentors were the judges there and they kept it well under wraps because it was only whenever I arrived, they said, oh, what did you enter? And I said, oh, I did this. And they were like, oh, that was a really interesting one. And afterwards they were like, Luce, how on earth did we keep a straight face? Whenever <laughs> we were talking to you. Because <laughs> it was a total shock to me. I was sitting next to one of my best friends who I started college with, dear Hattie. And uh, she literally fell out of the chair, <laughs> which was very accurate. But you know, it's 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 in the it's in that place of I'm doing what I want to do. You know, this is who I want to be, and I'm not looking at what Hattie's doing and viewing her as competition. You know, we are generally ringing each other up of support, going, "I just cut this brow band three inches too short," and her going, "Don't worry." make it up and sell up for something else instead you know it's it's camaraderie 100 percent. you know and i think as you say when people come together amazing things happen so uh whenever you start doing the competitions over in canada i'll be coming over so don't worry oh (laughs) i've never even thought about that i you know instead of lusting after you know i never thought about you know because we have uh, a huge um indoor horse show oh you've some amazing things going on over there and i'm just like oh i'd love to go over there and see a bit of saddlery that would be cool yeah i'm because because all this thing there's um in australia they have uh the i think it's the sydney easter show which is like this massive massive you agriculture craft and they have a salary category and i look at it every year and i'm like if I could actually enter this yeah. <laughs> but I think well, it's again that idea of competition you know I think a lot of people do get very bitter about you know the stronghold of salary that resides in England and I can understand that well I but never instead even of me, uh, you know, you know had instead a... of this sort of oh English salary don't bother with it it's like well what's our version of that are we going to start a competition where you can you know, enter a western saddle and you know a whip or you know english salary only really takes you so far you know the world the horses do not belong only in england and therefore salary does not only belong in england which is why i'm probably a bit more outspoken when actually training needs to happen everywhere not just in walsall or you know in uh, the colleges and centres, you know, that knowledge needs to be spread worldwide because horses need the knowledge to live happy and fulfilled lives. So, you know, whenever I see all these guys out in Australia, you know, their local shows having a salary competition, every time it's on Facebook, I'm commenting on it, like, hats off to the organisers, really love seeing this craft, blah, blah, blah. And the amount of people that now know me because of, you know, me being probably a bit too much of a chin wagger <laughs> they um they're just like oh if you ever want to come over we'd love you to come over and you know do some things with us or come into the workshop or you know come and see some demonstrations that we're doing and i'm just like i will be there you know that's what i keep saying to you christian i'm going to be at your doorstep one of these days and i love it see everything that's happening in canada because it's one of those things that you know you look at the these guys doing rawhide braiding there's going to be a time where i'm going to need to know a bit about rawhide and instead of you know per, you know, try trying through um youtube or old outdated books that you don't really understand i want to be able to ring the person and be like do you have 10 minutes to talk to me about something and 
learning the craft that way because whilst you say you know there's youtube experts there's many a time i've been on a video call with someone holding up something going what on earth am i supposed to do here and they're going right see top left the top right that needs to change here you need to get the curve going from a to b and you know there is such a wealth of information and as you all know at the heritage craft it needs to be protected by any means possible you know and it's not going to happen with people gatekeeping and saying oh no i don't take on apprentices this that and the other you know you can write a thing on facebook talking about thread or you know here's the edge stain recipe i use you know and there are amazing people that do do that but there need to be a lot more you know oh i agree i you know when i talk about youtube experts i mean the people who have only acquired their knowledge by watching and and not have picked up the phone it's that you know yeah i think it's that very much a little bit of information is a dangerous thing yeah and that's why i say uh, promoting mentorship like being a mentor acquiring a mentor Mm -hmm. you know go out of your way find someone to mentor you and not just one like i i'm really anti-drinking from one well I th- I I find mm-hmm. the people that oh have, yeah like, I'm very much that you know because some of the some of the manufacturers are very good about look hey we'll hire you and train you and then mm-hmm. the problem is you just have that little bit of training and and falsely that person thinks they've received an education which they have yeah, it's but that, it's, uh, it's 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 very one sided there there's a there's a horse trainer that I very much or sorry an instructor that I or coach, I suppose I should say, um, that I very much appreciate how he teaches people, um, Eric Smiley. And he talks about um, unconscious incompetence is where everyone starts. They don't know how bad they are. Then you get conscious incompetence, which is where I feel I am. (laughs) And I know how bad I am and what I need to learn and what I need to do. Then you've got your conscious competence where people know that they're, good in a certain area but they're very aware of what they do and then you've got the unconscious competence where you see oh you see some people pick up a knife and it's like poetry in motion and you think oh my god you just look amazing and it's effortless yeah and i think you know when people see that they think it's easy and i'm like no 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 no. that's taken them 50 years of you know <laughs> screwing it up to get there you know and i think in, in respects to drinking from the one well, I think that's where I, you know, not doing an apprenticeship has actually lent itself to me because I'm not just being sat down, you know, nine to five, getting the same sort of teaching method or this is how you need to do it. Instead of being molded into a certain thing, I'm able to go to all of my mentors and hear how they work their business how they would do a certain thing how how they source things what they prefer to use and it all in all i think it lends far better because every job is different and every job will throw that one thing at you where you need to be able to pull it out of the bag and go well actually somebody told me this six months ago and for this part, and um, something I learned in college, and that you know, seven years ago, that's what I'm going to use here to get this part of it done, you know. And I think that's where, as you say, you know, working in the silo, you know, it's it's a very isolating place, and you be- can become quite complacent when you're in your little workshop, not you know, pushing on and 
seeing things that can be achieved. Because I know I went to a fair a while back and there was a leather worker there. And, you know, he was very much selling watch straps, wallets, you know, more light leather goods, things like that. And I sort of struck up a conversation as I do, you know, talking about leather. And I sort of said to him, oh, yeah, what do you do? And he said, oh, yeah, I started classes. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting how you find teaching, you know, what kind of methods are you using? And he's like, yeah, I've had to buy, you know, 15 pairs of pliers in one go. And I was like, 15 pairs of pliers? What nurse are you doing? And he was, yeah, you know, when I'm stitching, you know, I just have to pull, I have to use a stitching chisel and pull through with pliers. And oh, a little part of me died. I was like, please don't do this. You're going to teach people and you're going to ruin their fingers and their shoulders and they're going to come become sore of it because they're learning bad technique. But at the same time, I was like, you know, it also stands people learning to be able to do a bit of research in actually you know, the majority of people are doing this for a reason. They're yeah. doing the traditional thing for a reason. And it's because, you know, people have figured out what works, what doesn't. And, you know, there, there will always be improvements. But as you know yourself, when you've been sitting there for three and a half hours, you think, yeah, actually, this is probably the best way of doing this. You know, it's, um, you are, you people in the past weren't stupid by any sense of the imagination. You know, they were doing this to survive. So they needed to physically be able to do it or have the right tools for the right job. So that's why, you know, this certain all is this way and it's not, you know, all this fancy wacky doodle stuff and you think, oh, this is, there's a reason why things were, but it's also then finding that fine line again of what could we do better with modern technology, modern um, material, like you say with foams, you know, it's, it's, it's always an evolving thing, but, you know, they were using uh, bones back in prehistoric times for leather. Um, I've, I've got three or four of them sitting in my workshop, so yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it at the same time, isn't it? Well, that's, you know, occasionally you'll, in the saddlery trade, um, I think there was one Irish company that tried to kind of reinvent the saddle. And, uh, oh, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, and I kind of think, how arrogant can you be to develop, you know, to kind of think you understand the horse better than, say, it's only been a hundred years. I mean, I, there's mm-hmm. there's people in your family alive right now that are going, I remember <laughs> when, you know, there was, you know, only one person on the street had a phone and only, you know... Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. when so-and-so had the first car on the street. You know, everything was, you know, a little pony in a cart or, you know, that <laughs> riding and horses and harness. Probably riding horses was not anywhere near as yeah. popular as, as harness. And, you know, the idea that you think it was some country bumpkin making this mm. harness, it wasn't, it was, there was some 20-year-old in 1880, thinking, I'm going to show Granddad how this can be really done, <laughs> <laughs> and developing, yeah. you know, a but, new you know, it's, harness. It's that, it's that unconscious and confident. They don't know what they don't know, and you know, it's like you know, every week there's a new birth out on the market that is going to stop your saddle not fitting, or stop rubbing, or this, that, or the other. And part of me thinks, you know. 
what did the guys back in the day say? You know, they'd be like, well, why are you not? Why are you not just using a string girth? And it's not necessarily that the string girth was bad. It's people don't know how to use it correctly. And you know, it's one of those things that people think saddlery is going to fix every problem. When you look at the horse that is, let's say, a little bit chunky around the hips, and you think. Yeah. Well, actually, if you maybe had your horse fit and in a place of athleticism where it could carry you, maybe that saddle might fit a bit better, you know, or horses being shod or unshod and you think, my God, that yeah. thing, how on earth is it even walking down the lane here? You know, I think people very much, you know, unless they unless they know they're doing something wrong, they think they're doing the right thing. Or it's a case that they have too many conflicting pieces of information. And instead of actually looking at the animal in front of them and thinking, right, you're leaning more towards this piece of information than that piece of information. Maybe I should look into more of this. But it's the age of information and it's, it's, it is difficult. But I think that's why you need people who are specialised in what we do, whether it be nutrition, veterinary care, saddlery, you know, you know, we're we're not here just to you know tell you a story. We're here because we want what's best for you and your your beastie. You know, and that's why I always think a lot of saddlers, you know, they're maybe a bit embittered because people will argue the price with us, whereas they might not necessarily do that with a vet or the farrier. And I say, look, you are just as important. You can have the best, fittest, most well shod horse in the world. You put the wrong bit of equipment on it, and you're in for a big disaster you know yeah and it you know i think we're probably a little bit underappreciated nowadays because you know fast fashion has kind of caught up with us but now people are starting to understand actually a buttery soft bridle straight out of the box doesn't necessarily mean the best thing they tend like stretch like bilio whereas sort of that traditional english bridle leather is a bit tough to begin with but that's wherever people will have the knowledge of, you know, keeping it maybe a bit warmer, putting a wee bit of conditioner on it, and actually looking at the horse's face to go, you know, he's getting a wee bit of a rub here. I might actually go back to the saddler and talk about this. Or it might be a case of we'll give him you know, a few days off and do a bit of, um, you know, ground work with him. You know, people, people are very much wanting instant results. But like anything, you, there's no such thing as instant results when it comes to living creatures because that's not how we work we work very slowly and evolve over you know hundreds of years you know even when you're talking about the horse from the 1880s very different to what you see standing in the stable nowadays you know what 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 would have been the epitome of a good horse then is not what you would see nowadays you know sure there's all these articles everywhere left right and center about the obesity of horses nowadays and you know, equine diabetes. I don't think you'd have heard that back in the day. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that are constantly pushing the trade to keep up and to move on with the times of the evolving horse. And not only that, but also pe- how people use horses. Um, you know, I I am very close with um, a donkey group who are very much adamant that donkeys should be out doing things and not just a field ornament. And they're going out to haymaking festivals and, you know, picking apples at orchard festivals. And, you know, it's it's amazing when you see what an animal can do if people give it the time and the 
and facilitate them to be able to do the job that they can do because you know there is that you know, the whole stream of using animals and leather or, you know there's possibly a bit more debate on you know the ethics of that but until we're doing the best of what we can do then that's whenever you have that conversation of right is it actually ethical to do this at all but whenever there's so much to be done whether it's you know look at the pentathlon and the olympics that was a very shaky moment there where everything could have just turned on its head you know whilst we are doing everything within our trade and our sort of guilds and unions and all this you know if the public eye and you know your social license you operate it it disappears we're gone because you can never ever stop the masses you know especially when it comes to the likes of welfare you can't stop them so if you're able to turn around and go well actually we're putting in millions of pounds of research into finding out you know what makes a horse happy what makes a tree better than this tree you know and when you're saying about your engineer you know he's come at it with no like no background in equestrianism at all part of me thinks yeah that was probably a bit cheeky but at the same time part of me is like what can we learn from that you know people with fresh eyes see things all the time and it might be yeah. one day somebody comes along and says see the way you rivet this why don't you try it like this and it could change everything you know, like yeah. you know, a Roman saddle has evolved to a point but at the end of the day it is the animal uh, you know um, the unmo- unmovable force between two moving objects you know yeah. and you know it might be in you know 50 or 60 ta- years time there's no tree in it whatever and in fact it's some polymorphic gel that react that has a brain and can react to moving forces i don't know i i have a lot of time on my hands like yeah. that i like to daydream about interesting things well and, and i, then I you, also look at, you know bits from roman times you look yeah. at ones from you know made five years ago and you think there's not a lot of difference yeah. there <laughs> well this in particular on the saddlery side of things like i'm not opposed to like i flat out you know call myself publicly a traditionalist i like Mm-hmm. traditional things but uh, you know when it's someone coming along saying i just developed or you know i did all this research mm. with you know pressure sensing pads and everything else and it's like yes but you're comparing it to the worst the trade had to offer yeah and mm-hmm. saying look how brilliant my stuff is instead of going look you know the traditional methods done expertly or phenomenally well is brilliant. You can't compare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I, and, I think I think culturally, I think because technically we are a trade, trades people are looked at as being stupid, which is ridiculous. Because I tell you, when my electrician comes in and starts talking about <laughs> electronics, yeah. I, he might as well be speaking a different language to me. I'm like, I don't understand anything what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I just you stitch know, two pieces of leather I, together. I, I, like, you do your thing. <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, I do think there is that. This again, you know, part of the the podcast. And, you know why? You know why are you on social media? Why are you? Why am I talking about mm-hmm. this? It's because we're passionate about it, but we don't want to see it die. So we want to see exactly that parent who has maybe a child like I was as a kid. Like, 
I say to people, I'm like, I had no business being in high school. I should have been thrown into my trade at 14 or 15 mm-hmm. years old and got on with it. And I would be brilliantly yeah. happy and probably 10, 11, 12 years ahead in my trade and my skill set mm-hmm. instead yeah. of I, I, getting yeah, to I think, almost 30 before I realize, yeah. oh, <laughs> you're doing the wrong <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, like I definitely have the parents that still to this day ask me, would I not think about getting a proper job? And I'm like, why do you think my job's not proper? You know, I earn, well, some days more than others, I probably earn, <laughs> earn a wage. But, you know, it's one of those things that, like, they'll say to me, oh, but you can't afford to go on holiday. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to go on holiday yeah, exactly. because I don't hate my job. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, me going on a holiday is, you know, going to England to go and learn some salary. Yeah. You know, and I think it's like whenever I go into primary schools, and obviously they'll know what a vet and a farrier is, but whenever I come in and I go, I'm a saddler, and they go, ooh, what's that? Um, it's quite funny because I always go in around Christmas time, and I sort of go, you know, I make stuff for donkeys and horses and reindeer and then of course I've got the floor because the minute you you insinuate to children that you have some invertent way of getting to Santa Claus they're a captive audience <laughs> you know and it's, it's like okay kids who's got a dog raise your hand I can make you all a dog collar okay kids you know whose daddy wears trousers hands up I could make him a belt for Christmas and they go can I can I do this and I'm like anyone can do this because I know when I think back to being younger and being with horses, never did the thought cross my mind being a toddler, ever. You know, I honestly thought it was just something that people had this skill, this sort of like, you know, ingrained skill themselves. And I like, I would have said if anybody had asked me to make a saddle, I'd be like, no way could I ever do that. Whereas now I'm sitting there making the saddle and people are coming up to me and going, I could never do that. And I immediately turn around and go, you could but would you? Yep. That's the thing. You know, yeah. anyone can do what we do. It's whether or not they've got the drive, the ambition, the passion, the obstinance <laughs> to actually go through. You know, and I don't want to say serve your time because I know a lot of people use that as a weapon. But you know, to to do the mileage and to gain that proficiency and confidence and getting a good stitch line, or you know. Being able to handle the head knife correctly, you know, it's um, yeah, it's it's not it's you know, anyone could do it, but whether or not they would do it, that's that's the real sort of thing that weeds people out, isn't it? <laughs> when it actually comes time to you know, put the horse between the shafts, are you actually going to get it done, or are you just going to talk about it? Yeah, and you know, I had to remind my son we're just having a conversation yesterday and it was um talking about money or a job and mm, you know dirty thing <laughs> yeah well i try to be way more open i mean i i my financial literacy is so bad and it, it just was so you know yeah. with that when you grow up without much you tend to not be like highlighting like <laughs> you no, know no, you know and it's it's you know, I, I, for sure, my family is doing much better than the my generation before me. And, you know, things are progressing mm-hmm. and we're doing well and everything. But I, you know, I had to say to him, I'm like, you need to stop thinking about 
oh, I, I heard this job pays a lot. Maybe I'll train for this. And I'm like, there's mm. zero correlation between your income and happiness. So you no. need to just start being as thoughtful and putting as much energy into thinking about, you know, what's going to make you happy. <laughs> and you yeah, know, these jobs that pay so well, people are, these are the jobs that they're desperate to get a vacation from, or they're yeah. living for the weekend, or it takes them, you know, an hour. Yes, they can afford a horse now, but it takes them, you know, yeah. an hour in congestion, traffic and everything else to get to the barn. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, really after yeah. a 12 hour day you've already put in, are you really giving your horse mm -hmm. the best? And are you living this equine yeah. dream that your money can afford you now? So. Yeah, because I definitely, I definitely. So obviously, because I had the bad health to start with, and I'm very aware that if you, it's it's that chicken and the egg thing. If you're not feeling good, your mind's not going to feel good. If your mind's not feeling good, your body rapidly will not feel good. And, you know, as you say, you know, you could have the best paid job in the world. But see, when it comes to doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists, they are expensive, you know, and, you know, not not having a joyous life is incredibly expensive because, you know, no matter what religion or, you know, creed you subscribe to, you're only here for as long as you're here. You know, you don't come back as the same person or move on to another life and be the same person, I don't think. So why would you not try and enjoy the time when you're here? And, yeah, you know, it's, it's, any job has its stresses and strains, but it's is it going to be worth it to you in the long run? You know, I have lost relationships. You know, I've lost friends. I've lost. I've lost a lot of family members doing what I do. Don't regret a single bit of it because anytime I go to that workshop, it's like walking into my happy place. Yeah. You know, and I. It has taught me a lot about myself. You know, it's made me a better person. I'm now able to stand up for myself and say no, which is something I never could have done before. You know, when it comes to people who start haggling with me, I've got the confidence to go, I don't haggle. You know, whereas when I first started, I was very much, oh, well, what do you think it's worth? I go, no, no, here's what I'm worth. Um, and it's even got to the point where, you know, I, I generally say I don't need a holiday. And it got to the point where I actually got quite anxious at the idea of having a holiday. And last year, I went on holiday. I took a full week. I did, Well, I said I didn't do any saddlery, but I went to a museum in Switzerland and there was a saddler shop on it, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> it follows me everywhere. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's why on earth would you want to be miserable? Do you know, and pe a lot of people, I think, make themselves miserable just to make other people, to be able to garden about it. Where I'm like, do you know, are you actually going to do something about it or are you just here to gurn? You know, why Why would you want to have a miserable, sad life? And you know, as I say, the only reason you should be complaining is about the weather because nobody can control the weather. So one thing you can complain about because see if you didn't have to complain about it, you'd find something else. So I try and only complain about the weather. <laughs> and sure, and I'm a good country for that. But, you know... Yeah. It's very much an ethos thing. You know, I, I, I keep saying, you know, sadly is philosophy of life for me, but it really is. And I think it has stood me this, the test of time. And hope. well, you know, I'm 30 years old. I, I keep t talking as if I know it all. But 
life it'll throw many things at you the the world is constantly changing and the people in it are too so you know you need to just keep going with your best foot forward and not just hope for the best but most importantly do your best too absolutely okay so in i can talk to you all day and I, <laughs> I know so, every day <laughs> absolutely we should do it more often actually so um oh, yeah. coming to you know a close here i love what you've talked about everything's awesome but so for you personally um mm-hmm. staying just in closing one how do you stay motivated two what is next i think you're cooking something up i can feel it in my bones <laughs> i was really something chicken don't worry. <laughs> yeah if you could share something i'm curious because i think one it might be a little inspiring to people to just go oh i didn't know it could go in that direction like mm. you know when you're working from a a good foundation of knowledge you can flip it into mm. other things and i saw you know, on your um, social media that uh, acquired a clicker press, which uh, I know when I bought oh, mine. Oh, I know my new toy. <laughs> when I bought mine, I was just like, people were like, it's not a Ferrari or something. I'm like, it is to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I'm like. Better than a Ferrari. <laughs> I feel like I've just, oh, you know, substantial now. I've, you know, rather oh, yeah. than. A, real you know, cool clicking away and you think, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. Just in closing, so tell as, us. As, as for um, like motivation, I always like it's very hard to describe because I don't think motivation is the thing to go for. You know, as I say, I don't have to motivate my dog to go for a walk. She wants to go for a walk. Come here and rail shine. She is ready to go. I might not necessarily be so much, but when it comes to going into the workshop you don't have to tell me to go i'm ready i'm already in there but to me i am very much motivation might get you started but it's the discipline that keeps you going so i know like when i get frustrated with something or i'm like you know what i'm gonna finish this and leave it for another day i'm like actually you need to get this done because you also have all this other stuff to do so you're gonna take five minutes phone someone talk about it then get back to work you yep. know, I think, you know, it's, it's you know, this sort of like toxic, you know, gains and girl boss and all this, you know, people, people are talking, it's so easy to do this, this and the other. I'm like, no, it's not. It's actually really hard, you know, especially as you think when it comes to doing your finances. Oh, it is difficult. You know, I just want to curl in your bowl and cry because I don't like math. I don't like talking about money. I don't like any of that. I just want to make stuff in the workshop. But when it comes to that, you've got to be disciplined. That's true. And I am very much probably a bit too hard on myself sometimes, but it's a case of, you know, yes, I'm self-employed, but am I in the workshop pretty much every day? Yes. Am I doing a lot of hours every day? Yes. Am I also, you know, on my days off, am I doing the social media? Am I doing this or the other? Yes. You know, even when you're sick, you still got to keep, keep your finger on the pulse of your business. You can't just abandon it. You know, that's the joys of being self-employed. But um, I think what what kind of increases my motivation, talking to saddlers, you know, easy, easy peasy, whether it's online, you know, through what you know, p- people put a question up of, 
oh, I really want to make this thing, what would I use here? Or, you know, complete novices saying, oh, I've heard, you know, I want to buy a clicker press, what one should I buy? You know, there's so much camaraderie there that it just, when you see other people being encouraged, you're like, yeah, actually, I want to try and do this too. Or, you know, you watch this Canadian saddler tying off knots on saddles and you think, I really need to up my knot game. (laughs) There's so many different things that really, you know, I think getting outside of your own head, that's that's probably what I would say, because your head's a very dangerous place to be. You know, there's wee beasties in there that can whisper things that make no sense to any common person, but to you, they can convince you that, yes, actually, what you do is horrible. You should give up and go get a job stacking shelves in a shop, you know. It's... It's, um, it's dangerous to be in there. So talking to other people and learning that they are also people and have frustrations and, you know, we are human beings and have thoughts and emotions and, you know, oh, you know, it's very much, you see all, the, you know, the traditional, you know, old white man who's very stoic and a bit grumpy. That is not what a saddler is. A saddler is a human being who wants to make stuff for horses. You know, that that's what a saddler is. You know, you need we need to get away from this whole you know, oh, you have to do your time and earn your steed and this. Well, it's not. It's a case of who wants to learn, who's going to be worth the time to put it in. And whenever you start talking about salary, whenever people get excited about it, I think that's a very good, <laughs> a, a good flag to follow, you know? Yeah. I think there's, there's saddle geeks out there. I call them saddle geeks. There's oh, yeah. people who are like... Oh yeah, I'm definitely on you know? that list. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's uh, what's next? Can you share anything? Uh, are you up to something? So um, I have. So well, maybe I shouldn't say this. I might have to go and back into the workshop. So at the minute, I have a lot of um, uh, harness being made um, for a few guys over here, um, and then I also have um, some film work. Um, which I can't really talk too much about because obviously you've got all these NDA <laughs> things you've got to sign. But again, you know, when you're talking about what avenues can salary lead you to, you know, it took one message on the society website of other saddler in Ireland, and I now have this great uh, couple of friends at Leather Designs Limited who are the saddlers to the stars, and they make saddle rate for films. <laughs> you know, that so and that cool. in itself, you know, don't get me started, I'll be off on another tangent here. But, you know, when you see how they approach saddlery, how instead of it being beautiful and, you know, all this, it's actually, it's going to look beautiful, but it also has to look 150 years old. And you're like, what? You know, why? <laughs> but you still have to have every bit of welfare mixed in there. And, you know, and films are a very stressful thing, and I take my hats off to them. But, you know, I'm doing that one minute. And at the same time, I'm also making like a camera set harness for a photographer friend of mine out in Australia. And it, it it becomes what you want. You know, if you say, no, I only do saddles and I'm only going to do this. I feel like you kind of limit yourself to that box. Say, <laughs> Some of us, know, that's our skill have, set, though. <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's, it's very much, you know. Saddlery isn't making saddles. Saddlery is a skill of working with leather. You know, if I can make a bridle, I can also make a handbag. If I can make a saddle, I can also make, you know, uh, let me think, bonnet straps for a car. You know, there's people people are very much trying to box in what you do, whereas this skill could take me anywhere in the world. You know, 
even if you boil it back down to just being a saddler, you know, if I packed up my my kit and said, right, I am going to move to Australia, I know four or five people that I could walk into their workshop and go, right, let's do some work. Yeah, you know, and, and that's, be, that's what I And you'll bring revenue you know. into their business immediately. Yeah, because yeah. I know, like, apprentices and mentors, they are a drain on money. But I, I always, and I very much appreciate that, and I always, um, at the feet of anyone who will ever let me learn from them, because there is no money, that you can never put enough money on teaching. You know, honestly, you should be charging us millions at a time because it's invaluable. But it's one of those things that if there's anything I can ever do for any of them, it'll be done. You know, if somebody says to me, I have a job that needs done and I need help, I'll be like, put it on, put it on the bench. You know, there's no exchange of money. There's none of this. Let me just help you. Or if it's Casey, you know, they have some problem with social media. Do you know how to do this? I will 100%. If I don't know how to do it, I'll even well find out before before anybody can get back to them. You know, it's you know there there are things to learn from young younger young people as well. You know, as a, they've been brought up in the age of technology. Why on earth would you not know the skills that are you know like easy as breathing to them? You know, I'm sure your son has you all over. You know, the old TikTok and. The, Oh, it's it's maybe not my daughter is the that. one. My daughter is the one for that. Yeah, I just it's just intuitive for mm-hmm. her. I'm like, oh, can you edit this video? Yeah, and it's kind of like eye roll. It, Thirty seconds later, there you yeah. go. <laughs> okay, perfect. Oh, well, it's it's a laugh because you know I'm 30 years old, which I would not say is old at all. But five days ago, I had somebody had to show me on my banking app how to cash a check, and I was like. <laughs> I feel about a hundred years old, but you know, it's it's there is always a give and take in any relationship, and yes, money is a very sticky, sticky thing. But as I say, you also can't complain that there's nobody coming into the trade when nobody's training them. You know, you do have to. You know, it's that whole if you want to see change in the world, change yourself. Yeah. You know, and people say, oh, Lucy, you know, are you going to teach people? I'm like, when I'm at the appropriate stage in my career to teach people, I will teach anyone who is willing to learn. You know, there's people that want to do it just to sort of go, oh, yes, I know how to do this. And I go, no, no, if you're going to learn, you're going to learn what I know. And it's not just a case of here's an easy way to do it. I'm going to show you the hard way to do it as well. And I'd be like, you know this yes it's harder but it's it's going to save you whenever you come to this challenge you know it's um oh it's it's just i don't know it's it's really hard to describe and i i feel like you get it and like possibly some other saddlers but i think if you average joe was sitting to listen to us he'd be going what on earth are they smoking (laughs) you know it's it's that sort of ingrained emotional spiritual thing in all of us where you just want it to go out into the world and be better you know I don't want people to be miserable and sad and feeling you know downtrodden or oh I'm not good enough to do this I'm like come on no anyone can do this and I think that's who I've become you know you from years ago being a real depressed you know life isn't worth living kind of attitude to now I'm no you figure out what you want and you do everything in your power to do it. And it's not a case of, 
I'm too old or, oh, I have kids or, oh, you know, the money's not there. I'm like, look, if it's what you want, there's a reason why you want it. Go for it, you know. And it's like when kids say, oh, you know, I want to earn lots of money. I'm like, money doesn't necessarily mean happiness. Yeah, you know, it'll make things easier, but it'll also make a lot of things a lot harder, you know. And whilst you need to earn a living wage, you know, it doesn't mean you need to have a Ferrari. You know, I would be very happy with a beat-up old Land Rover, you know, that would do me well. But it's also a case that I'm going to have a life that I'm not going to regret when I'm, you know, going into a box. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Well, on that note, I want to thank you for sharing... um, it was every bit as fun as I thought it was going to be. You're such a, an amazing person. <laughs> I'm bored you the tears. <laughs> I, no, there's no chance. It's just, you know, um, uh, the limitations of a podcast. We're going to have to do part oh, two, man. three, four, and five, I think, <laughs> um, for sure. Oh, so I want to just really thank you so much for coming on the Saddler's Post podcast. No, and um, I think, you know, I do have to thank you as well, A, for having me on, but B, for also having the, you know, the brains and the know-how to do things like this, because the more we talk about our trade, whether it's within ourselves or to the general public or even the equestrian world, you know, we need to have that open conversation that, you know, a saddler's still a person, <laughs> you know, we still have hopes and dreams and fears and all this, you know, and you know, we need to humanize ourselves a bit more. And I think, as you say, having a somewhat relaxed general conversation, I think is one of the best ways to do it. So thank you very much. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Wonderful. All right, Lucy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, you never know, might might see, see you all soon. Hi, this is Lucy Cushley from the Irish Saddler in Northern Ireland, and you've been listening to The Saddler's Post by Christian Lowe. This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.